Lewis and Clark, they will pave uh, new roads. It takes them 18 months to get from Illinois to the region of Washington and Oregon. By 1830, train transportation will cut that time in half, and by 1857, a person could make it from New York to California in a mere four weeks of travel. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is nonstop travel. Um, today, you can fly to um, from here to California. I think it might take you three hours, uh, three and a half, four, four hours, all you that go, four, hour, four hours by plane. That's a lot uh, faster than, um, than four weeks. So consider that advancement. Consider that advancement. Also consider food preparation, which has been transformed. What used to take the better portion of an entire day. And, and I really, as, I'm, as I started to do the research, I, I found out that in many ways this took a lot longer than a day. Um, refrigeration has come a long, long way. And absent of proper refrigeration uh, came the immediate need for vegetables. And that might take a garden or it might take time. Um, what used to take the better portion of the day can now be delivered in single-sized serving, these boxes. Now, there's a new company that, that you can order your box of meal they come in a big box, and then you can take out a little box. And I, I don't know how you heat it up, but, but they're supposed to be very good for you. And I think they're like 6 or $8 each. Um, when we had Roman, I don't know why, but we had gotten a bunch of little TV dinners, and he liked the TV dinners. Is Tammy in here, by the way? <laughs> you know me so well. Uh, uh, Roman never realized that there was a brownie in all of those because Tammy would eat the brownie before he would get to it. <laughs> it's the truth. Um, by the way, we're doing a, a marriage thing on the platform Sunday, so so I, I want to make sure I do as much uh, damage I can do tonight so I can have things to repent of on Sunday. Um, food establishments, chain restaurants, um, uh, the, of course, the big one, McDonald's. On-time delivery has reduced the need for pre-planned meals that once dominated home life. Uh, I've traveled a, a little bit, not not extensively, but I do remember going to a place where people would stand in line and try to get their food for the single day, the, the single day meal. So the additions of of transportation and of food They've been a blessing, but they've also been a curse. While prep time and food has reduced, um, has been reduced, the quality has suffered. And we don't have to explore this too much, but preservatives and color additions and presentations, uh, they're known to be causes of, of great health conflicts. More people have access to more food, but the kind of food is a little suspect. Um, and we're, we're dealing with this in America on a major level. Life in general has followed the same path. There's better and worse in each subject. More information has led to more misinformation. It's the 24-hour news cycle. And so because of that, we have to create news. We have to make news more grand. News has not become a delivery of information. It's become an entertainment factor. Who knows that? News has become an entertainment factor. So 
So news actually creates ratings, which creates revenue. This is a business. So more options have led to poor choices. Now, I like an option, but if you've ever gone to the Cheesecake Factory, I don't like to go to the Cheesecake Factory because they've had a whole novel of, of, of items that you can buy. I'd like to just have two or three things that are really good, but it confuses me. I, whatever I pick, I feel like I didn't do a good good job picking that. Someone else got something, and I always regret what, I, what I've gotten at the Cheesecake Factory. And because I don't go very often, I can't even remember right now what I, what I got. Now, as long as Tammy gets chicken Marcella, I don't like that. It's good. I'm so glad she got chicken Marcella because I don't, I'm not, I don't have any feelings of covetousness over her dinner. <laughs> I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about healthy additions. These are very important in the church. Healthy additions. So let's look at the Bible. What is a healthy addition? Here's Peter's writing. He said, and beside this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Add your faith virtue. So before you even go on any further, if you just move down the page a little bit and look at the line that says, the foundation is your faith. I want to go to that and I'm probably going to mess up Sister Lori in the sound booth. The foundation is your faith. That's your foundation. So in this context... We're not talking about um, uh, having a belief for a miracle because faith could also be that too. In fact, one of the definitions of faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's true. But faith has, has more than one definition. In this particular context, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter is declaring that faith is, is concerning what you believe. What you believe as, uh, as persuasion, as, as a, as, as a doctrinal truth. Maybe we should say as a doctrinal truth. It's, it's, it's the doctrine that you believe in. Your faith is your doctrine here. So you add to your doctrine. And it comes, it, it, this comes from a Greek word and it means persuasion or credence or conviction. It's the system of, of this religious gospel itself. It's an assurance or a belief. So what you believe as your doctrine. And everybody needs to establish what their doctrine is. Sound doctrine in the, in the last day, People reject sound doctrine. And the Bible says they'll heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears. As when I was growing up, I never really caught that. I memorized that scripture, but I didn't really catch it. It just basically means teachers that are hired, people that want to hear something, so they hire someone to say what they want them to say. These are hirelings. A hireling is just a professional preacher. And there are many, many professional preachers. People like professional preachers because professional preachers means that they can opt in or out of that. So your doctrine has to be established. What is your doctrinal belief? What is it? What do you believe? So when we go back up to this Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Peter says, give all diligence, add your faith. What is it that you believe? And then add to that, here's a few words we want to investigate. Add to that virtue. So we want to add to something. And to virtue, knowledge. Verse 6. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. To patience, 
godliness, verse 7, and to godliness, brethren, kindness. Kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shouldn't be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he goes on to say about the person who, who lacks these things. And then he said, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. So within the context, verse, verse 10, it's not on your page. You give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. Now, in relation to that, it appears that Peter is saying that if you want to be sure about your calling and your election, and the election is very specific to your eternity, if you want to make sure of your eternity, add something to your doctrinal belief, what you believe, your persuasion, so that you are sure. Now, now I will tell you, this house, this room, has never seen the crowd that it will see the day that the rapture takes place. We've never seen it. We'll never see it. Hopefully none of us will be here. But the day after or the day of when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise and then we rise, there won't be room enough in this place to house the people. They'll be thronging to get inside to try to recover perhaps a day too late. The, the soberness of that statement should put us into uh, an awareness at least to add something now this is something I have to tell you I cannot add to your faith I can present an idea virtue I can present these things and I, I will do that tonight but you have to take that responsibility for yourself I, I don't think anyone can make anyone spiritual can't make anyone godly. Can't make anyone saved. Only the individual can do that. In the Bible, the Bible says there'll be no, in heaven there'll be no marriage or giving in marriage. And, and basically, marriage is a temporary, um, uh, uh, gift. Um, and it's temporary in this life. But in heaven, we don't have the same desires, the same thoughts. We have a new body. We have a new mind. We have, we have, we have no more stress, no more, no more tears. No, no. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't recognize our loved ones because we're going to be known by the word of our testimony and we're going to rejoice. A lot, a lot of folks will say, well, I'll see my loved ones. Yes, but you'll see Jesus. But you'll see Jesus. And, and you'll have, you'll be able to talk about with clarity because you're not going to think the same way you think today. Right now, you're bound by the limitations of, of your emotions. I am too. We're bound by the limitations of our body, of our mind. Um, in fact, just reading this last week, it came to my attention that, that, the, that, that the attention deficit of people uh, is, is growing, that many, many people cannot focus their minds for more than six minutes. And part of that, of course, there's many factors, but part of that is, is, um, uh, the, the rapid eye movement that, um, media has introduced us to. That, that, that per frame, per, uh, frames per second has just exploded and, and, and we're watching more and more. In fact, in fact, there was, there was a study that just came out and I saw this on Drudge Report that the average person will watch 24,000 hours of television during their lifetime. And so, and so when you, when you see, 
when 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 you when you realize the limitations of your of your mind and your 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 body well in heaven you won't have that this is not the same thing we're not we can't even imagine what it will be like it's so it's going to be so wonderful you'll have a glorified body you won't have any fat you know what you know what i'm talking about i already got in trouble for that one so so if you're going to add something, you have to add it. No one can add it for you. And if you try to add it to somebody, you probably just make them mad. So this is a, this is a subject that, that's not always welcomed, especially in the westernized world. The subject is you have to take responsibility for your own walk with God and make your calling and election sure. How do you do it? Add to what you believe. You might first want to figure out what you believe. Now, I'll just tell you what I believe and what I present to the church. So this, this may not be exclusive to New Life Fellowship, but, but, and, and I think the way that I do it is probably uh, uh, unique, but, but the doctrine is the biblical doctrine. So it's not a denominational doctrine. So here it is. It's on your paper. What is the doctrine? What's my doctrine? What's our doctrine? Here's mine. There's only one God. There's only one God. In the Old Testament, God said, is there a God beside me? I know not any. Brother Scott just taught three weeks of, of Godhead. A just one and a Savior in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus said he was the Savior. How do I reconcile it? That's the dual nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus was both God and man. God is a spirit and Jesus was the only person. So, the Jews call it the Shema. They call Deuteronomy 6.4 the Shema. They bind it. They write it. They, they put it in their pockets. They, they write on papers. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one Lord. Colossians 2.9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I'm not going to expound on this tonight because you've heard it. I just want you to know my belief in the Godhead is that there's just one God. And there's just one name. And Paul wrote there's one Lord and there's one faith and there's one baptism. Now that should be established in your life because that, that is the cornerstone of everything else. In fact, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone that there's only one God. Secondly, the gospel is salvation. There's salvation in the gospel or we can even minimize it to say the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And I've talked about this many times, but I want you to know it. I want it to roll off your lips. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. I want to remind you of the gospel, Paul said. I declared to you the gospel. I delivered it to you. You believed it, he said. And what you believed was that Christ died. He was buried. He rose again the third day. That was the gospel. Those were the keys to the kingdom. That's what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He preached death, burial, resurrection, to repent, to die, to be buried as baptism of water in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And the promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. That's the doctrine. If people ask me, well, how can I be saved? I always say, first you have to believe and then you have to be obedient. And then you have to repent. And, and of course... Those folks who say, well, that, those are, you know, I don't, I'm saved by grace and not of works. Well, is believing, obedience, and repentance a work? There's a difference between a work of the flesh and, and following the obedience of the scripture. 
So if I repent, that's not a work of my flesh. That's just what I have to do. If I'm buried with Christ in baptism, I'm just following Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. So, this is the gospel. The gospel was obeyed. The gospel was obeyed. Um, I'm, I'm... Funny thing, I'm working with a couple denominational pastors now, and this is so great because, because one of the gentlemen is, is a phenomenal man, and he's a Baptist minister, and, and I, and he said, we're struggling in our, in our denomination right now with how to decipher membership roles. Who is a member of our church? And he said, if you accept the Lord, you know, that's great, but we don't count you a member. And I said, really? He said, no, the only way you, we can count you as a member is if you're baptized. I said, well, do you believe that baptism is necessity to go to heaven? He said, well, our, 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 our church elders say no. But he said, if you want to get a job in the church, for instance, like work in the office, you, you, have, you have to be baptized. <laughs> I said, well, that's interesting. <laughs> so you're telling me you're Baptist, but you don't believe in baptism. <laughs> and you don't think baptism is important. To go to heaven, but you can't work in the church office unless you're baptized. He laughed. He said, I know. We, got, we, need, we need to start baptizing and say, you have to get baptized. I said, we're on the same track, man. We're, we're doing it right now. So he didn't really want to talk about baptism. He wanted to talk about receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I decided, let's do the whole gospel thing. So uh, he said, you know, this is really bothering me. What I'm really afraid of is if I start speaking in tongues, if I'll still be able to keep my job. I said, well, you just have to convert the whole church. That's all. He said, wow. All right. So super. It's just, it's a phenomenal thing. It don't have anything to do with religion. It doesn't have anything to do with denomination. It doesn't have anything to do with concepts. Just the Bible. The doctrine. What's my doctrine? There's one God. His name is Jesus. Everyone has to repent. When you're baptized in Jesus' name in water, you're doing what Jesus example. What did he do? He was baptized of John as a perfect example. Let me just do this for everybody because I don't know if I've done this before. Because the other question I get is, well, what about the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized. He wasn't baptized. You want to do this real quick? Okay. How about, how about a long time? Okay. No response. So I'll take my time. So the thief on the cross. Let's talk about the thief on the cross. When does the Testament start? Now, see, the Old Testament is a type of the New Testament. Now, when you have a son... The sun shines, and there's an object, and then there's a shadow. Well, the Old Testament and New Testament are kind of reversed. The object is in the New Testament. The shadow is in the Old Testament. Okay? Jesus is on the cross in the New Testament. Moses is lifting up the serpent in the wilderness in the Old Testament. And the Bible says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so also the Son of Man must be lifted up. In the New Testament is the object, baptism, and the Old Testament is the shadow. Why? Because the Bible says that they were all baptized unto Moses in the Red Sea. Got it? Here's the flood. Just as Noah was saved by water, the shadow, even so baptism doth now also save us. Got it? So the Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament, can be really wrapped up in the new because it's a shadow. So when does the Testament start? It starts at the death of the testator. It's a good time to make a note. And then draw a little hill and put three crosses on it. 
On this side, put bad guy with frowny face. On the other, put squiggly mouth with bright eyes. And the middle, don't put anything because you want to draw a picture of Jesus. And Jesus says to the, to the thief, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Well, I ask you, was Abraham baptized in Jesus' name? No. Was Jonah? Was Moses? No. What, is, what about Elijah? What about David? No. Well, where do they go? They go to heaven too. How do we know that? Because Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He meets with two individuals, Moses and Elijah. The Lord's garments are glowing white, and he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're, they're discussing all that has been and all that will. In fact, Peter goes up and says, we need to make three temp- temples. He has no idea what he's talking about. The Lord rebukes him. No, we're going off this mountain. All of them are going to meet us in glory. But all of them, before the death of the testator, are you ready? Are under the Abrahamic covenant. After the death of the testator, he used to wink at ignorance, Acts Acts 17. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent. So after the cross comes the testament of the testator. Because he came to establish his church. And Jesus said, John baptized you with with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost not many days since. So what's your doctrine? The doctrine is the death, burial, resurrection. I can't answer for anyone else. I can only answer for myself and what I teach here and what I preach here. Everyone must repent of their sins, be baptized. These, these things are the gospel, death, and burial, and resurrection played out in my life. What's your doctrine? What is your doctrine? So that would just go to the last one here because I think that everybody's clued in now. And this inward and outward holiness standards. It's just basic separation from the world. If there's ever been a time for there to be gender separation, today's the day. If there's ever been a time to depart from worldly ambitions, today is the day. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. That's not without controversy. People have been fighting that verse for many, many years. Wherefore, come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean, I'll receive you. This is, these are very important scriptures And I've got to establish my doctrine. Before I add something to my faith or my belief, what is my faith? What is my belief? What are my convictions? I hope someone read the bulletin last week. Because I think I talked about convictions in the bulletin. What are are the things that that I believe? Now I'm not telling you that the things that you believe that you've excelled in. But I, but I think we should pursue them. Or as Paul said, not that I've already attained, but I pressed toward the mark. I'm not saying that we're all perfect. We're not perfect. But we believe something. It's higher than us. I obey because I believe. I'm following it because I believe. Some things I, I can, I can, I can attain to and many other things in my belief system I'm still racing to get to. Like temperance. Yeah. Like, like thinking always the right thought. Yeah. So my doctrine, what is, what is that? What, what am I persuaded of? 
I want to go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, and I want to cover this in the Amplified Bible. Here's what the Bible says. For this very reason, applying your diligence to the divine promises, make every effort and exercise in your faith to develop. Here's a few things you need to develop. Let's do it again. Moral excellence. Add your faith. Moral excellence. Morality. Moral excellence. Because if I believe that Jesus died for my sins, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Moral excellence. There's a, there's a, 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 a wide... Um, the, the group, maybe I should say there's a, there's a growing group of Christian people who have departed from moral excellence and they've adopted concepts of the world. And now they become worldly, but they call themselves Christians. Now let me just tell you, I don't really, I'm not concerned about what you call yourself. I'm really concerned about how you treat uh, the Holy Spirit. I, I want to stand here and just tell you something. There's going to be some Pentecostals not go to heaven and some Baptists and Methodists that will. Because they didn't know what to call themselves, but they followed the doctrine and lived up to the doctrine. They just didn't know. There are people around the world that don't call themselves Pentecostals. They never even heard that name. But they're following the same gospel that, that we're following, the same doctrine. So if you hang your hat on what church you go to or what denomination you're a part of, that's not going to save you. Denominations are not going to save you. The scripture and obedience to the scripture will save you. The Lord will save you, but you've got to be obedient to the scripture. Who knows this is true? Um, this is happening all around the world. People are receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in other tongues. They've never even, they don't even know who we are, never heard of us. There's a group in China right now that never heard of Pentecostalism or Pentecostals. And most of them can't pronounce apostolics. Of course, there's many Americans that don't know. Because every once in a while, someone says, I know you're apostoliptic. <laughs> Have you ever had people tell you that you're apostoliptic? I say, no, I'm not. That's very offensive. No, I just, whatever, you know. <laughs> they don't know the name. But they've experienced the name and the power and the Holy Spirit. Now that does not mean that we shun the name. Because in the name is an identification. We're Pentecostal in experience. We're apostolic in doctrine. In experience, we experience Pentecost. In doctrine, we follow the apostles' doctrine. Because that's what the Lord taught his apostles. And they delivered it to the church. Jesus did not deliver the doctrine to the church. He left it up to his apostles to deliver the doctrine. Even after his resurrection, the Bible says he spent 40 days with them, showing himself alive by many infallible proofs. 40 days. And teaching them things concerning the kingdom of God. And then they delivered it to the church. Everybody said amen. So here are some additions that you have to... You have, to, you have to add to your life. Moral excellence. Letter B. Knowledge. This is insight, understanding, knowledge. It's important that we know more about the Bible than we know about the political system. 
that we know more about the Bible than we know about whatever the hobby is that we enjoy or whatever sports or whatever business. You see, how do you overcome if you, if you don't know the word? Jesus used the written word to overcome the devil in the wilderness. The church often struggles because the church doesn't know the word. And you have to refute the enemy with the scripture. Amen. Okay. So, knowledge. What is the knowledge? Well, it's not just the knowledge of, 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 of secularism. But it's the knowledge of God. It's the knowledge in the Bible. And you add to that. Well, how do you do that? You don't do that in one, one day. You do that over time. Day after day after day after day. This is what, this is what the Bible says. Line upon line, Isaiah 28, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. If I took one piece of paper and, and tore it in, in half, and, and you, you would think it's no big deal. But if I, every day, if I added another one, another one, and did it a hundred days in a row, now, you know, it's a lot harder to tear 500 of those sheets than one. And that's what happens to your faith. You're not going to catch every, every nuance about the church. You're not going to catch every principle. You're not going to know everything about God in one setting. But year after year, day after day, month after month, experience after experience, you should be adding to your faith. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And then over time, you'll gain great strength. Malcolm Gladwell calls it the 10,000 hour rule. If you want to excel in anything, do it for 10,000 hours. I like what my brother said one time to a person who wanted to learn uh, a riff on the piano and he and the chord, you know, and the piano players, they kind of do their hands and, and they walk up the scale real fast and kind of leave it hanging. It just sounds so, you know, nice. And, and, and it was a new keyboard player. And they said, teach me how to do that. And Scott said, well, you just do it like this and you do it a thousand more times. That's it. Just do it a thousand times. Well, people don't want that. They want all of God right now. They don't want to be patient and walk through the what really God puts you through, the arduous process of learning day by day. Don't get down on yourself. Just know I'm heading the right direction. I'm learning more today than I did before. Don't let anyone condemn you. You're walking toward the Lord. You're walking whatever light you have. You keep on walking in it. Because you're adding to your faith. If you've attained all knowledge and all understanding and you have no more to add, just go ahead and die. Because you've reached utopia. But if you're still alive, you still need to grow in the Lord. So you got to add to your faith knowledge. Don't say, well, I was baptized in Jesus' name. That's it. I don't need to do anything anymore. Oh, yes, you do. You've got to live in this world. What are you going to do? What are you feeding your spiritual man? The knowledge of the Word of God. Add your faith knowledge and let her see bothers me a little bit it's self-control everybody say self-control self-control put your hand on yourself control yourself to control yourself because you ladies and gentlemen are your worst enemy not me not your husband your wife your child not your mother-in-law in-laws father neighbor not your animals dogs get you not the government you are your worst enemy self-control is a it's the main factor of life to have self-control to be able to control all the desires of your life and flesh and heart. Even in this time right now, it would be nice for self-control to take over where, where the Christmas spirit 
Christmas spirit tries to invade your life and tells you you need more things, which you don't need. <laughs> That's what I'm telling my family every day now. We don't need that. No, we don't need that. No, we have one of those. We had one of those. We don't need that. How long is that going to last? We don't need that. <laughs> self-control. My, if I could add self-control to my life, it's not just what I put on myself, but it's what comes out of my mouth. Self-control, how I respond. Self-control, to be even-tempered. Some people are not, they're not angry people. They're just very, very depressed. Some are angry and depressed. They're like this and like that. They're up and they're way down. But self-control is an even keel of understanding. And when you go through great duress, self-control will assist you in your life. Do not think that just because you come to church, you don't have to add self-control to your life. Every day, you have to add that. Every day. Every day. Who's ever had problems with self-control? Praise God. 94%. Just many people. Everybody. Self-control. Who's ever been cut off and someone, someone had a little road rage against you? Anyone ever had road rage? Has anyone had road rage Experience road rage? Praise God. Who wouldn't raise their hand no matter what I ask in this building? Thank you. Danny, thank you. Self-control is a big thing. Every once in a while, I have to just push away from the table and go on a little fast. Every once in a while, I just have to do it. And sometimes, most of the time, the Lord calls me on that. But sometimes, I just know, and I talk to myself, today's the day. You're going to get some things in control. When I'm not eating, you'd be surprised how much extra time I have in the day. It's incredible. And when I'm not eating, you'd be surprised how many times I look in the refrigerator. I probably, yesterday I probably went to the refrigerator maybe 20 times. Just looked in there at all the stuff that I'm not supposed to eat and then I shut the refrigerator. Now, I don't know why I want to tempt myself. When I'm a long fast, I love to watch the Food Network. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe that maybe that just that 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 makes me more spiritual. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> See all the things I'm not going to eat today. <laughs> it's it's important. Who's going to do that? There is no church, or preacher, or leader, or spiritual leader that can make you live. A life of self-control. You've got to add it to your own faith. Add this to your faith. Because this is what Peter said. If you add these things, it'll make it that you'll never fall. Wouldn't it be great that no one would ever backslide? And no one would ever lose faith. And no one would ever leave the church. And no one would ever turn their back on the doctrine. The reason why they do is because they've never added anything. They stopped at the initial gospel. They stopped at giving their heart to God. They stopped at, they stopped at saying, well, I'm going to repent. But then they didn't add anything to their life. Here's the next one. And to self-control, steadfastness. That's letter D, steadfastness, to be steadfast. Now, I'm just going to give a little working definition on steadfastness, and you can write it if you want to. But to be steadfast, it, it just basically means, if, if we could use it this way, just doing the same thing at the same time continually and being faithful. 
and being consistent and being certain to be steadfast. That means you're not moving or as Paul said, unmovable, unshakable, always abound in the work of the Lord, steadfast. Let me just give you my Christmas wish. It's that everyone would be steadfast in the church. That no matter what you go through, if it's sickness, disease, family turmoil, if you lose your job, if something happens to you in a adverse way, if someone says something ugly, derogatory, if you are offended by them or me, you would never, ever leave the place you're at right now. Steadfastness. Let me, give, let me tell you what gives me heart attacks. When I see movable people, I don't know when they're coming and where they're going. And at the time, sometimes when I really need folks to be steadfast, sometimes they're not. And that's when I sing, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. <laughs> These are songs I'm introducing through the whole month of December, as I did Sunday, that you need to know. Steadfastness. Here, let me just tell you what will help your family. It's when you are in the same place at the same time and you are predictable with your family, and not just with your own family, but with the family of God. Amen. Here's, let's go to the next one. Add your steadfastness, godliness, oh, to be godly. Whatever happened to being godly? Did that seem to be too good? How about godly? Godly men, godly women, godly households. The only way that you can be godly is if you desire to be a godly person. And the scripture will help you that. But to be godly, you, you, could even, you could even use the opposing factor. It's the absence of worldliness. See, whatever makes your flesh happy is ungodly. Because your flesh is contrary to the spirit. That's why Paul said, the flesh and the spirit war. Light hath no fellowship with darkness. What, and I'm talking about flesh. I'm not talking about cheesecake and cream puffs. I'm talking about fleshly desires. Fleshly desires, whatever makes your fleshly desires peaked or interested, guess what? Godliness is against that. They are opposing one another. They oppose one another. For me to be godly is to, is to crucify my flesh. I've got to kill my flesh. I've got to subdue the very nature that I'm trying to, to get rid of and take on the nature of Jesus Christ. And look at all the things that if we could add right now. Just four things we're adding to our faith, what we believe. That we would have morality. We would have moral excellence. We would have the knowledge of God, the things of God. Self-control and godliness. And let's do, let's do another. And to godliness, brotherly affection. Brotherly affection, brotherly love. Letter G, Christian love. Brotherly affection and Christian love. And I think these are intertwined, but since Peter um, separated them, I probably could put in the brotherly affection that, that, this, uh, that, that this particular uh, addition uh, is is related to 
the affection or the care of the church, the brother of the church. Christian love could be related to those outside of the church. So there should be something about inside of the church that there's affection, brotherly affection. So we care for one another. We love one another. We, we think of one another. We, we care. You know, my, my iPad just rang. Isn't that incredible? Now, is it hooked up to my phone? That is really, boy, I got to be careful of that. My iPad was ringing. You know, I know a lot of things, but I don't know anything about, I am, a, I am illiterate in these, these electronics. Praise God. No, I'm not taking that call. I don't even have my phone. Okay. Somebody's got to help me turn that function off, lest I'm preaching somewhere and my phone rings through my iPad. Inside of the church, there has to be affection for one another. The, the Christian love is looking outside. Of course it is inside too. But this type of, of, of love and affection, though, though they, they, they are to two different groups of people, we have to consider this. And the reason why I would think of them as being maybe a little different from one another is that sometimes, I wish it wasn't this way, but sometimes it's easier to love people that are not part of the church than it is to have affection towards somebody inside the church. Now, it, maybe it should be reversed, but probably in, in whole, it, it, it should be constant in both ways. The reason why sometimes it's hard inside the church is because we get to know each other and we get to know all about one another. And we, we get to know each other's baggage. You know there's a difference between baggage and luggage, right? Luggage is what you bring on a plane. We get to know each other in ways that probably kind of kind of hurts us a little bit we, we we found out oh something bad about their person the next sunday we see them worshiping god and doing something but we didn't know in between that time maybe they made their self right with god but we're still holding on to that we have a little tough time with brotherly affection just look around the church whenever you walk in this is your brother this is your sister this is the family of god treat each other like you would want a brother and a sister to treat one another amen and then show Christian love. And of course, that's very difficult to do. Because when the world doesn't love you, it's hard to love them back. But if you will add these things to your faith, these are positive additions. For as these qualities are yours and increasing in you as you grow towards spiritual maturity... They will keep you spiritual maturity toward spiritual maturity. We want to become spiritually mature. It would be nice if everyone became spiritually mature. Because when you become spiritually mature, they keep you from being useless and unproductive in regard to the true knowledge and greater understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are qualities that you add to something that is Undeniable and true. Your belief. Your persuasion. Those are correct additions. Healthy additions. Now I'll just cover a few adverse or incorrect additions. And, and, and I'm not going to exhaust the whole. I'm just giving you seven of them. 
But these are very, very important for us. When I talked last week about interruptions, some of the interruptions, of course, we, we talked about are, are of God, and some of them are things that we did um, that, uh, that caused us to deviate from his path. If we add to our faith, we actually interrupt the, the wrong or the bad that could come to us or the direction that we're heading. But there are some additions in your life, ladies and gentlemen, that if you add to your life, this time next year, you won't be here. I've watched this happen many, many times. People added something that they shouldn't have added. And some of those additions did not start out sinful. It was just a busyness of life. And I term it everything all of the time. Too much of everything. See, you can add so much to your life that you no longer have peace. You no, you're no longer consistent. You don't have time. Your energy is gone. Your reservoir of worship is, is wiped out. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Everything all of the time is not healthy for us. See, that goes back to our, our immediate instant gratification. The ability to get from here to there in a split second. The ability to have food on demand. Do you know that People don't even have to go get their own McDonald's. You can have somebody get your McDonald's for you. I, I don't know what this is called, but, but it, what is it? DoorDash. Is there another one? Yeah, Grubhub. Grubhub, DoorDash. Someone was telling me how that, you know what, we can just send somebody down. Well, where is it? It's four blocks away. They just bring it right. You mean you can't get up? Do you know how much thinner America would have been if we did not create the remote control? The clap on and clap off? You'd have to actually get up and turn that thing off and on, whatever. What has happened to us is that everything all the time, it may not have started out as sinful, but it will remove you. The additions of your life, they, they make your life complex. We're trying to get simplified to simple life. Simple life. The simple life, you cannot be found in the harried life, the everything life. And that is a, that is, that is so against the culture today. That is not what, that is not what the retailers want you to know. That's not what, that's not what any of the commerce people want you to think. It's not what any of the advertisements promote. The advertisements does not, do not say, don't worry about buying our product. No, they impose on you that this is an emotional response. So now it's not just a car. Subaru is love. Subaru has the commercials. It's all about love. If you love your family, you'll buy Subaru. That's what they say. So now it's, this is not just a matter of needing a car. It's a matter of do you love your family or not? If you don't, don't buy a Subaru. If you do, buy a Subaru. Because... All of the stuff, the, the more opportunities to go, to, to do, sometimes those things that are added to your life remove you from moments that you cannot get back. I'm telling you right now, if you are sick, if you cannot be here, if you are on vacation, then thank God, 
Watch it online if you can, or listen to the podcast later. But I, I promise you, there are things that happen in the Spirit in this room you cannot recreate or know or even really feel by watching it online. There are dynamics that happen. There's people that are worshiping. I'm blessed because I watched them worship. I'm something happened to me because they're, they're reaching out to God. And I'm so blessed by, by seeing the, the worship of all my brothers and sisters in the church. That to me, there's dynamics. There's a spirit that, that, that God, not because of us, but because God's so good to us. He allows us to feel everything all the time. It's, it's like what Paul said, all things are expedient. They're not, they're, they're, all things are lawful. They're not all expedient. It might be okay, but it's not good for me. And over time, those additions to your life, they will take you right out of the church. Let me just tell you, when you miss one service and miss the two and miss three and miss four, guess what happens? It's easier to miss more. That's right. It's very easy. Guess what else happens to people when they don't come to church? They're not up to date with what we just went through. Because there's a flow to the spirit. We're on a track. We're on a path. We're on, we're, I don't start the book in the middle, middle of, the, of a chapter or the middle of the book. I don't start. I read at the front and I go through. Now, not all the Louis L'Amour books, that not, that's not always. I sometimes just go to the back chapter and make sure he gets the girl and the dog and the horse. That's all. But I basically know what's going to happen. Uh-huh. When, when you miss one or two or three services, listen, I pray for people who are on work shift and they, they can only come certain times. I pray for them always. I'm always praying for people, especially those who are sick in the hospital in places they can't get to church because I know they're wanting to get to church. And I always know that even if they're watching, I pray that those who can come will come because you're adding something to your life. You don't need, number one. Secondly, whenever that starts to build up and it removes you out of the presence of God, oh my, then then you have trouble. Number two are relationships that are contrary. I'm going to call this equal yoke. They're contrary to equal yoke. The Bible says do not be unequally yoked together. And that specifically is talking about not marrying someone who doesn't share your belief or doctrine. But I also believe that some people are yoked with people. They're, 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 they're very close with people who may not even speak against your doctrine, your faith, but they speak in favor of their lifestyle. See, what we what we fail to know is that Folks do not have to say, I don't like your church to poison your life. All they have to do is talk about something else. This is my struggle. I talk about the Lord. I talk about the church. Wherever I'm at, I'm talking about the Bible. I want to talk about God. I want to talk about the cross. I want to talk about the things of God. Not because I'm a pastor. Not because I'm standing here. But because that's just part of who I am. And I've got to be very careful. I don't want to have a bunch of relationships that draw me into a different conversation but don't want to have anything to do with with what the Spirit is talking to me about. 
There are several ministers that I know that when I talk to them, this is their question. What is the Spirit saying to you now? What's the Lord showing you? What did the Lord show you this week? We talked to Pastor uh, last week. We talked to Pastor Stark last week. And he said, oh, I'm so glad to hear from Jeffrey. Tell me, tell me about this subject. And I start talking to him. He said, now I want you to write that down. I want you to send that to me. I got to have that. Um, I have assignments, by the way. <laughs> no idea. So I, 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 wanna, I want that. I want to know that, that the people that I have in my relationship, my, my circle, wants to talk about the Lord. They want to talk about the church. They want to talk about the things of God. But if I add to my life a lot of folks, this cacophony of voices that don't want to know anything, then what I'm doing is these people are contrary to the equalness. That's why the Bible says iron sharpeneth iron. Let me just put this down for you. Everybody needs three people in their life. Are you ready? Three people. Everybody needs a Paul. That's someone you look up to. That's someone that, that can teach you. Everyone needs a Paul. You need someone who can, who can instruct you. Someone who has, who has authority in your life. Someone who has even the veto power to be able to say, no, I don't think that's right. Someone that you submit to. Everybody needs someone like that. Now, if you just say, well, you're the man, pastor. Well, hold on, that's nice. But do you have anyone else? It, it would be nice that you had someone else too. There's elders in this church. There's mothers in the church. All you have to do is make yourself available and seek them out. There's wonderful people that are deep in the word, deep in God, strong in the Lord. Everyone needs a Paul. Everyone needs a Barnabas. That's a peer. That's someone that, that's on your level that you can express ideas to. And the Bible calls it iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Everybody needs a Barnabas. You need someone that you can talk about the good things of God. And everybody needs a Timothy. That's someone that you're raising up. That's your apprentice. Everyone needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. Who are you training? Who are you empowering? Who are you bringing up in the Lord? Who are you encouraging? Take somebody. They could be older than you or younger than you. But everybody needs someone they're looking up to, looking across to, and bringing up from beneath. So when you have relationships outside of the church... That's perfectly fine. I'm happy with it. Just make sure that you're the influencer. Just make sure you're the one who is leading the conversation and they're not allowed to talk nonsense to you. I'm telling you right now, I've seen this addition so many times. Sometimes it happens in relationships. You know, someone wants to marry somebody or like somebody and they're drawing them away from God and their emotions are ruining their walk with God. Some of them are, are other types of relationships and they're leading them away from God. Here's the next one. The adverse, rela- adverse edition, number three. The pursuit of personal gain. It's lustful. You see, you can be so driven, so driven to get something that you lose focus of the Lord. So driven to attain something, you can lose focus of God. Let me just caution everybody. You can see someone who is a high motivated person. That does not mean that they have lustful pursuits. Because lustful pursuits does not just mean someone who's driven. It means someone who is seeking something that appeals to their fleshly nature. 
Personal gain can be many things. Of course, money is a big deal. But you know, money is not evil. It's the love of money. At, at the coffee shop last year, I saw this. Since money is evil, please put it in this, in this bucket. They wanted tips at Java Hope. And I said to the young lady, I said, I would if you'll put, if you'll write the scripture correctly. It's not money. It's the love of money. And she said, we don't have enough room to put that on there. I said, well, you ain't getting my dollar. No, I didn't say that. Number four is the unbalanced religious lifestyles. Unbalanced religious lifestyles. See, these are additions that we have to be real careful of. Let me just tell all of the men in here. I hope that you have given yourself over to prayer and fasting and the word of God. But don't neglect your wife because you're reading your Bible. And I hope, ladies, that you teach a lot of Bible studies. But take care of your children first. Don't neglect your family because you think that it's your God-given call to teach everyone in Terre Haute a Bible study. And the crowd went crazy. Because sometimes people become, become out of balance and they add to their life something that destroys their home and they blame it on God. I'm doing the work of God. Hold on a second. How about family, mom, dad, husband, wife, children? What about that? I think you need to be involved with the church. But I, I think before you get involved with the church, no, don't use this as a crutch, but before you get involved with the church, I think you ought to have at least some time with your family. So if you've blown your whole week and you don't ever see your family and you come to church and act spiritual, eventually that will run out And your children, your wife, your husband, whoever, they'll see you and say, they're insincere. They love God, but they neglected me. I know several ministers and leaders and ministry leaders that have fallen into this terrible pit where they did all the work of the Lord. You see, you can be so busy with the work of the Lord that you forget about the Lord of the work. And his commission is for us to care for our homes and our families. Now, if you use this as a crutch not to come to church, well, then you didn't catch this at all. You know, there's, sometimes there's several different messages going on at one time. It's what I'm saying, what you're hearing, and somewhere in between, and everyone has their own interpretation. This is not up to interpretation. Love God, be involved in the church, manage your time. Because you can become so, so, and I don't even want to use the word spiritual because it's not really spiritual. It's kind of active. Where you're so active that you neglect the normal things of life. <laughs> All right. Uh, maybe I'm really hitting something well. I don't know. I don't, I don't have the gift of interpretation. I really don't. I don't even have discerning of spirits. There's a lot of people I think that have loved me that didn't. And some people I didn't think that liked me, they, they love me. So I'm praying for the gift of interpretation and discerning of spirits. Because an unbalanced life, that is a, that is a roller coaster life. Number five, this is an adverse edition. The acceptance of worldly philosophies and trends. Dear saints, brothers and sisters in the Lord, 
do not take upon yourself what is accepted by the world. Don't get trendy. Don't get trendy. Some of you guys have beards. Listen, I already told you I'm not a really big fan, but okay. Jesus probably had a beard, so you're in good company. Just as long as you don't come up and tell me that it's no shave November. Because you start that mess, I'm going to say no adultery in August. No alcohol in April. No fornication in February. We're not going to be trendy. We don't need to follow trends. Because you get caught up in trends. Listen, churches get caught up in trends. What's the newest rage? The trend. What's the newest book? What's the newest thing? Hold on. We got a book. We're going to follow this book. It's not trendy. It's not old-fashioned. It's original. (laughs) So when we get to this point where we're accepting all the trends and philosophy of the world and we're bringing them to our lives, those are adverse and they will interrupt our walk with God. They don't make us more godly. They make us more ungodly. The trends of the world. In fact, just as a side note, if you keep your clothes long enough, they'll come back in style. This is true. Just last year, a bunch of young guys were saying, hey, do you have any big fat ties, big really big ties? I said, no, I threw those away 10 years ago. Well, they're in style. I didn't know that. They buy sock ties now. They're called sock ties. My brother had sock ties. This guy had a whole rack of sock ties. That was in the 80s. And now they're in back in style. They cost a lot of money for those sock ties. They have a, they have a, they have a, they have a flat squared bottom, Scott. And, and now they cost a lot of money. If you'd have kept them, you could have been at least $100 richer. <laughs> so what is it about the world? Well, the world's always going to press on you. Number six. Now I, I got to get into this little scripture. This is biblical editions. Be very careful before you add anything to the Bible. Revelation 2. 22.18 For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book If any man shall add Underline that Add unto these things God shall add unto him the plagues that are written If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy God shall take away his part out of the book of life You don't want to do that Don't put anything in there And don't take anything out And we're living in a day where people try to take things out They say well it's cultural relative, relativism It doesn't apply to me Be very careful before you decide What parts of the Bible are culturally relative to you be very careful. Because the moment, moment you say, well, that's not really for us today. Be very careful. Because the moment you decide to take something out or negate it or erase it, you could get in big trouble. In fact, you can lose the very foundation of what you think you believe. Here's Deuteronomy 4.1. Now, therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes, unto the judgments, which I teach you to do them. You may live. You can go in. You can possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that it may keep, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Here's Proverbs 36. Add not thou his words, lest he reprove thee, and you're found out to be a liar. Biblical editions are very, very, they're very dangerous. And we've got to be very careful before we add something to the Bible. Cleanliness may be good, but cleanliness is not next to godliness. Did your grandma tell you that? It's not in the Bible. That's what I told my mom when she said cleanliness is next to godliness. I said, it's not in the Bible. She, she showed me a few other things that weren't in the Bible either. <laughs> so this is very we have to be very very careful 
Things are being added to the scripture. Let me give you one big thing that's being added to the scripture today. This is a, I don't know if you're in this conversation, but, but the legitimacy of, of, of the homosexual lifestyle is being actually, it's, it's being, uh, uh, supported, they say, by Sodom and Gomorrah itself. And that they say the reason why God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah is that they were not hospitable. They say it had nothing to do with their lifestyle. In fact, that they were not hospitable and that they wanted to hurt the angels of God and didn't welcome them to the city. Now, that's an addition. Now, you think these things are kind of crazy and outlandish, and I do too. But you have to understand, small additions and subtractions in the word of God lead us way, they lead us far from truth. In fact, if you start here and you need to get to that exit sign, all you need to do is just, 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 just push your, push your hand, look a little bit, in, the farther you go, just half an inch and an inch, and then, then all of a sudden, as you're going down the road, you're off hundreds of feet. In fact, you'll miss the mark altogether. Why? Because we didn't find out what the word of God, what does the Bible say? Know the word because from the books we will be judged. We'll be judged from the books. Here, here is the book and from these 66 books our life will be judged. That's why we've got to get in the word and we've got to be, be careful that we don't add something to the scripture. And here's finally my last one. And I want to read the scripture here. But it's, I, I wanted to reduce it into just one word and I'll expand on it. And the word is worship. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria. Of course, he's going to lay siege to it for a long time. He's going to close it up. There's no going in and out. They're dying. Then the Bible says all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God. He brought them out of Egypt. Think of this. God brought them out. But they worshipped other gods. They followed the practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out before them. They did things secretly against the Lord. Of course, nothing is secret. They took, look at this, they took on gods that wasn't the God. The very people that God had destroyed, they took up their gods. And then they did things in secret that were against God. He knew it, but they thought they were hiding. You see, there is a great battle over your worship. When Lucifer talked to Jesus in his 40-day fast at the end, he said, if you'll fall down and worship me, because the devil has always been after our worship. He wants your worship. And whatever you devote your life to, that is what you worship. Whatever you love the most, that is what you worship. There are men who love their prized dogs, cars, boats, women who love certain things. I don't know what the ladies would like, but whatever you love, you couldn't depart. That's what you worship. Whatever you can't give up is probably what you worship. In fact, God knew that. So well that he tested Abraham and said, I want you to bring your only son. And he was talking about the son of Sarah. And I want you to bring him up to the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Why did God say that? Because his whole life was wrapped up in Isaac. Abraham's hopes and dreams. Everything that he ever wanted was wrapped up in Isaac. Bring him up. I want, I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham went up to the mountain 
Because God needed to know that there was nothing in between Abraham and God, not even his son. Uh. And Abraham raised the knife and the angel stayed his hand. You think about that. You see, you can add worship in the wrong way to your life. And that addition is not worship to God. Let me just show you how this happens. There are five ways that I've identified. And maybe there are more, but these are five ways that I've given to you tonight. It's the progression of false worship. And it starts with influence or being influenced. Exposure. Influence. False worship begins with influence or, or to be influenced. Mm-hmm. There's some things I have to keep myself from. You know, there's some conferences that I won't go to because they mess me up. I remember in 1990, in the olden days, 91, I would go to these really great music fests. And, um, and uh, I think it was in the Market Square Arena. And, and we would see these phenomenal musicians. And I remember sitting at a table with a bunch of apostolic Pentecostal musicians. And this is how the conversation went. Man, weren't they good tonight? Wasn't those singers? What do you think about those songwriters? Weren't they awesome? Well, how could someone who writes such wonderful music be lost? Maybe they're not lost. Maybe we're the ones that are lost. And all of a sudden, by the time they got done with that logic, everyone that they just saw influenced them, and they no longer believed their doctrine. And they lost their doctrine because they equated talent with salvation. They equated ability with salvation. Now, if that's the case, Da Vinci, Rembrandt, Caravaggio, they were all saved. Because the greatest songwriters, architects, painters, if talent constituted salvation, we're all in trouble. I'm going to tell you what, it does not. So there had to come a time when I realized there are some places I can't go. There are some conferences denominational conferences I don't want to go to because I know they're so adverse to what I believe and in several of those this happened a long time ago with one of the singers when he said let's put aside our doctrinal differences and worship God how could I put aside my doctrinal difference my doctrine is who I am I worship God through the understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior how do I do that so I know Influence. If you want to have a distortion of worship, subject yourself to anything that will steal your worship or worship something else. I know you don't want to do that. Here's the next thing that happens. After your influence, there's allowance. There's allowance. We give ourselves allowances sometimes. Sometimes people give themselves allowance and say, well, it doesn't really bother me. You know, you know, I'm an adult. I can watch that. I'm an adult. I can hear that. I'm an adult. I can, I can engage in that. 
Be careful before you give yourself an allowance. Now you're allowing yourself things that you may not allow anyone else to do. <laughs> yeah. It's always funny to me to hear people act like they're outraged about stuff that happens at church that they allow to come through their television 24 hours a day at home. <laughs> Uh-oh. I, I read the scripture. I did read the scripture. And the scripture talked about a donkey. Remember this sermon about the donkey? But I didn't really say donkey. I read the actual scripture. <laughs> and that was, that was a scripture. Well, somebody walked out and said, well, I know what the master said. That's the Bible. And besides, I know that you have that garbage on your television all day long. And they say actual, the actual words. See, we act like, oh, no, never mind. We act pious because we think this is God's house, but our house can be any kind of trash can come out through our house. When you are influenced, then you allow things and then you accept it. Now become acceptance. Now you're accepting it the way of life. Be careful before you accept things. You're going to accept whatever you have put yourself in front of and whatever you've allowed. Now you've accepted. Now it's normal. It's not normal. That's not normal. That's not normal. You ought to, you ought to know that's not normal. That's not how we're going to be. That's not what I want out of myself. That's not what I want for my family. And after acceptance comes adoption. Now you've taken it on yourself. You've adopted. You weren't born that way. You were born again in the spirit, but you added to, added something to your life that is now destroying your worship. It's infecting your, your thinking because you've adopted things. Be very careful what you pick up. <laughs> Be very careful what doctrine you pick up. Be very careful what ideas you pick up. Measure them by the word. Measure everything in the world, world by the word of God and the spirit of God. Filter it. Ask one of those elders, one of those Pauls in your life. Talk to a Barnabas in your life. Be careful what you pick up. I don't know why we allowed it, but many years ago, Alexandra and us, we were all over at Scott and Jennifer's house, and Aunt Alexandra found a cat in the alley, an alley cat. And can, she convinced Tammy and I to bring that cat home with us. The worst decision I ever made. And I got rid of the cat, and she said, if you're going to get rid of the cat, then I want a dog. There wasn't a lady that swallowed a fly. I got a dumb dog to take, take the place of the, of the dumb cat. And the dumb dog bit another dog in our neighborhood. That was terrible. We've lost our witness. Not only have we destroyed our neighbor's house, but another neighbor, our dog beat that dog. Pray for our whole neighborhood. <laughs> uh -huh. So you pick up things and you adopt them. And why did you, how did you get to that point? How did someone get so far away from God, from pure worship? How did they get away from what they believe and adding to the faith all these wonderful attributes of, of self-control and, and, and godliness and knowledge of God? How, because they were influenced, they made allowances, they had, they accepted it and said, well, I guess it's just how it's going to be. This is where America has been. They influenced. What was the influence? The influence was worldliness. 
and the and and the allowance is what we saw what we what we allowed we allowed all this stuff in our in our institutions our public institutions we allowed then it became an accepted thing it accepted we just accepted it, it was they're going to do it anyway so hand out profile now it's an adoption it's normal and now it's not just going to be normal but the last one wait a second this is very critical because there are some things you can add to your life that's going to help you and other things you're going to add to your life that they're going to cause such conflict that you don't know where it's going to lead you and such conflict that you, you might not even make it. You might not even make it. In fact, I'm not just talking about not making it to heaven. You might not make it into next year because you've added so many things to your life. You've added the wrong things to your life. The wrong ideas, the wrong images, the wrong, the wrong worldview. And you have to be very careful what you add. And I, I know this. Many people add. It's hard to subtract. It's a lot easier to get into something than to get out. It's a lot easier to hire than to fire. It's a lot easier to say yes than to say no. But if you could simplify everything. Then Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if you could simplify that, then Wednesday would be a little less stressful. And Sunday would be the first day of the week. And you would have, there's so much more joy if you could learn not to add so many things that conflict with your lifestyle in the Lord. And also, if you're going to add, you add the right things. And finally, after influence and, 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 and after these allowances and after acceptance, and then when it's adopted... All adopted. Now something else happens. You never thought it would happen. You never thought. I never thought it would happen. But what happened was, and I, I, I got the word here, but I, I wanna, almost want to change it. Now it's just assumed. Now it's just assumed. As if it's always been that way. You allowed it. You accept. You adopted it. And now you're wondering, see, there'll be another generation after you or even in your lifetime. We're only one generation from losing everything we have. There'll be another generation. They won't know the Lord because we allowed things and accepted things. And they'll just assumed that they've never went to church and they never worshiped. There arose another generation after them, the Bible says, Judges 2.9, which knew not the Lord nor the works which he had done for Israel. So I say to you tonight, add the right thing. Add to your faith and be careful what you add to your life. Some are good and some are adverse. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I pray for the saints. I thank you for this time. We're, we're, we're learning. We're growing even now. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us strength and hope. I pray, Lord, that we would in, invest our time in the word and in study and in prayer. Give us a balanced life. Help us to be obedient to your scripture. I pray, Lord, that we would be a spiritual people, holy, following you with our whole heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. I pray. Give us the right spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.